Roar, every day is game day. We are 105.5 and 97.5, The Roar. All right, hour number two out of bounds. William Quaggenbush, Mike Vaughn with you. I mean, the Oculus on Twitter does ask this question. I mean, and look, I, I'm not saying it's not fair. I'm just, I'm telling you where sort of the voices are, are where the voices are pointing here. What the voices, what the, what the brains behind the operation are pointing toward. He says on Twitter, at Quagdog at 105.5 The Roar. Uh, SEC and Big Ten setting up a committee. Talking heads are all talking about Virginia, North Carolina, Miami, Florida State, and the next four teams. Where are we? Um, well, Clemson is somewhere. Florida State is somewhere. Let me let me just break this down, okay? We've got McKenzie Clark coming up in just a second. But let me, let me make sure we break this down and make sure we do a good job of this. Look at TV ratings data. I remain convinced that market... I mean, people who are talking about markets, I mean... Get your head out from between your cheeks. Markets are ridiculously overvalued in the current market. Who gives a flip about markets? I want revenue. And I want matchups. And you know the two schools that are giving you revenue and matchups and clout and media buzz when they go take the field, particularly in football? It's Florida State and Clemson. The fact that Florida State and Clemson wouldn't be in one of these two leagues is madness. And it's madness because the commissioner and the presidents and the media executives all know that Florida State and Clemson are pulling three, four million a pop. And especially when you put them with one of these other big brands, you're definitely going to be pulling three, four million a pop. Why would you leave them in a lesser league and bring up other schools without fan bases just for a market? I mean, I think we should have learned about that by now. That's That's silly. Speaking of silly, uh, the biggest preseason snub in the world is Mackenzie Clark. We're going to talk about that with her gently. And I'm also curious how her uh, how her offseason has been going. Um, and we're very pleased to be joined by, in my opinion, uh, the best outfielder in the ACC, Clemson softball center fielder Mackenzie Clark. Mackenzie, what's up? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited uh, to watch you guys play next week. And I know you are too. I talked. I've been talking to a couple of your teammates recently, and I talked to your head coach. And you just basically have reached the point where you're you're just flat out tired of seeing each other, right? You're ready to play somebody else. <laughs> yes, of course, sir. Always, always excited to play someone else that's not in orange and purple. Uh, what have you learned about yourself in the last month? What have you learned about your team? What are some things that sort of stand out as you guys have gotten ready for the season? Uh, something that's like really stood out to me personally would probably be like how cohesive we've been this fall. Just you know, always playing each other. You know, like you're picking up on people's tendencies. You know, you're learning new things about each and every player, especially like the newcomers. You know, getting to know everyone. Um, but I would just say overall the cohesiveness. Okay, good. What does that look like? Uh, look, because you guys, it seemed like we're very cohesive uh, last year. You've been cohesive for a couple years, especially that core group of you guys that are fourth and fifth year players that are back. How have you been able to strengthen those bonds this year in the, the few months since last season ended? Uh, just like 
as a team, we've had some meetings of, okay, like, in this situation, let's say, like, you made a mistake or an error in, like, a costly time or whatever, like, what do we need to do to get you back on track? What do, what do we need to do to get you feeling in the best place possible? And just knowing how people are feeling in that moment and knowing how to communicate with them and, like, a, like a hey, like, I'm here for you, bro. Like, I'll pick you up. I got you. Like, typically, like, we would get like a little shaken up and we can't have that in those situations. So like to know like how to unshake a team air on rattle them and get them back to the place where they need to be is really key for this upcoming schedule that we have. The the core group of you guys that are together, you and Valerie and uh, Aaliyah and Jojo, like there's so many, I know I'm leaving to Millie. Like I know I'm leaving some out. Uh, this is for a lot of you guys. It's the sort of last ride. It's your last opportunity to do this. How do you sort of balance the the urgency of the moment without getting too desperate that you lose focus on what you need to do? Have, have you guys been talking about that, or what's what's sort of that process been like as you're preparing mentally for what you're about to do? Oh, absolutely. Just, you know, just be where your feet are. Be in the present. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about, you know, X, Y, and Z, and just really start playing for the people next to you. And... I don't know how many exactly we have in the senior class. I know it's a lot. I it's think a it's lot. Nine. <laughs> yeah. And to just have eight other seniors next to me and know what what the goal is, what we're trying to get here, like what's the plan, like like how to get things rolling. And then just, you know, in those moments we're like, oh, we have to do this and we got to do this and we got to accomplish this. Well, take a, take a minute, take a breath, look to your left and right. Those are the girls that you're playing for and with, and we're all working towards the same goal and not to, you know, not to stress about anything and not to get, like, over-amped up. Just, you know, play for the girl next to you. What happens, it'll happen, and just move on. Visit with Mackenzie Clark here on the program. I, I I have to ask you about all ACC teams come out, and I, like, I almost passed out because I assumed <laughs> that your name would be on there. What When you see a list of ACC outfielders, and your name is not on it. What goes through your mind? Well, I, well, it's funny because I heard you talking earlier, and you said, speaking of silly, and then like you went on like a little tangent. <laughs> um, like you, like you go on the list, you see that your name's not on there. Like, I mean, the childish thing to do is to boohoo, complain. It should have been me. Should have, would have, could have. But in my opinion, I think I did my best. And I know that I am grateful for the out, the other outfielders that made the list and for the people that made that list. And I know that I did my job to my pitchers, my infielders, and my coaches. I did the best of my abilities, and I didn't make the list. I didn't make the list. Just hopefully I make it this year. What a great perspective. I love that. Uh, John, I asked, I asked uh, your head coach, John Rittman, on Monday, and he said it was ridiculous and that he had addressed it with you. What was that conversation like when he addressed it with you? I'm curious. um actually just it was uh all of the coaches and it was just basically like a a, just an overlook I guess but Mm. you know you look at my numbers you look at the other people's numbers and you're trying to compare like okay like what areas was I not great in like how can I improve and we've been working on those areas this off season I can't wait to to show them to you guys this season. Oh, that's so good. But I got to ask, what are they? Like, what are the ways that you feel like you've improved as a player over the offseason? Uh, some ways I think I've improved is I would get so amped up with 
just like I have to make this situation. Like I have to do my job in this situation. I have to. I have to. I have to. And when you start talking like that, it's all like positive energy, all positive self-talk. You know, all those good things. When you tell yourself, "Don't do this. You have to do this. You have to do this." Oh, I can't do this. Well, you're speaking into the things that you can't do, the things that you like you're not allowed to do, the things that mm. you that you shouldn't do. And so this off season, I've really been, you know, doing positive self-talk. Oh, this is my job, blah, 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 like, you know, just positive energy. If I don't get the job done, you know, give the, the next girl and about like a high five, hey, pick me up, X, Y, and Z, just trying to not press, put pressure on myself that doesn't need to be there. Visiting with Mackenzie Clark here on the program, Clemson center fielder Tigers season will start in six days down in uh, Florida five five games in four days it is uh, it is truly a sprint at the beginning um let's talk a little bit about just navigating the early schedule where you're in a rhythm of practice and I'm not sure I've ever actually asked this question to anybody but you're going five games in four days right from the jump that's that's a pretty tough way to start I know a lot of teams do but how does how does that feel on your body where we know that game shape and and being in game at bats is a little bit different how do you have to prepare mentally and physically to jump into that you know my first original thought was like you know like travel ball in high school like you're going to all these tournaments and showcases and like correct me if i'm wrong but those like colorado tournaments those pgf tournaments like you'd play i think at one point i played seven games in a day oh yeah like like you're boom 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 so actually right now i'm calling on my the younger version of myself (laughs) is me a boost of adrenaline, if you were to say. But honestly, just in those situations, like where you know you're playing five games in four days, just, you know, you have to be able to reset quickly. You have to make quick adjustments and just be able to adapt to each and every team that comes along the way. Um, I think the main area that we've been focusing on this off season is how quickly can we adapt to new pitches, um, you know, fast, slow, spinny, like, just making those quick adjustments very early on. And I actually can't wait to see how my team performs with those changes that we made. You know, I love looking at your schedule and seeing some of the teams that are coming to McWhorter Stadium, like Tennessee in the non-conference. You've got, obviously, South Carolina's coming in. Um, you've got uh, you've got a couple others uh, that are sort of P5 or, or, or really good programs. And then, of course, you're playing great neutral side games. But I thought to myself, you know, Clemson is now a draw. And you guys have done that. Like you, you, you don't have to have a big game just when Tennessee comes because Clemson is a big game for people now. Do you guys get a chance to think about that, that you, in a very short amount of time, that you've been able to build a program that can say that about itself, that it is a big deal when Clemson comes to our ballpark to play us? I actually just like realized that maybe a few weeks ago when I, I – you know, like I have – whatever academic schedule and how many people have come up to me like after class before class and be like oh my gosh like I know you don't know me but like I just want to say like my family are huge softball fans and like we we don't have an athletic bone in our bodies combined as a family (laughs) like we know nothing about this sport and we went to your like I kid you not this girl came up to me after my one criminal justice class and she goes my family and I were born and raised in Georgia and I think it was my sophomore year, maybe my junior year. I don't remember exactly. She goes, but we went to the game that you guys played at Georgia. And she goes, and we were there like three hours early. We watched you guys warm up. She goes, 
and we're born and raised Georgia. We were rooting for you guys. Like, mm. like all these stories, like people come up to me, like you guys have like such like incredible like support staff, like in like a crowd base and blah blah blah. And I was just like, you know what's funny? Because like when we go to away games, or if we go to home, like when we have home games, like I don't really take a look at the crowd all that often. Like I do like maybe before the game and after the game, but during the game, I think like my teammates can say this as well. Like we really don't realize how many people have showed up for us, supported us, especially even on away games, like the game in Oklahoma. Like, there, there was a sea of people for Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I look up, and we have a little, like, a little stream or river, and it's just filled with orange and purple. And at, one, and at some point, our crowd was louder than theirs. And there was a whole, what, whopping 60, 60 people, 70 people, 100 people. And against all the other Oklahoma fans, and I was just like, guys, like these people have literally traveled so far for so long for us, and it was just like, just like crazy, like like looking back at it, like wow, like we do have an incredible audience, an incredible support staff, and like we couldn't be more grateful for them. That's fantastic. Uh, I love hearing that, and I love hearing how you and your teammates relate. Uh, Visiting with Mackenzie Clark, Clemson center fielder, uh, one of the stars of the Clemson softball team. Again, the Tigers will take the field. Six days from now, you'll be able to hear that uh, right here on The Roar. And uh, I think four of the five games next weekend are going to be right here on The Roar. So uh, get excited for that. Um, any advice for, uh, before we get back to you, uh, any advice for Reedy Davenport? Uh, Reedy is going to be joining Tony Shufal on the broadcast. Uh, your thoughts on Reedy behind a microphone talking about you guys? <laughs> the thought about Reedy Davenport behind the mic. Just honestly... She is so, she, she's so funny. She's so intelligent. She has such quick wit. It's astounding. So to see someone put her behind the microphone, like, honestly, like, yes, I'm excited for those games or whatever. I am more excited to see what she has to say. Like, when, like ask anyone on this team. If Reedy Davenport says something, everyone's listening. Like, you don't know if you're going to get, like, the, the quick wit come back you don't know what you're gonna get and she is just so hilarious and like everything that she says is either relatable or just like you're like wow i haven't thought about that like i haven't thought about it like that and just like she will make under water and she will keep you on your toes oh uh 100 percent i'm i'm very excited to see how tony uh how how tony manages her more than uh more than uh she manages tony um let me uh let me ask you a couple other things I feel like defensively, like I said, I think you're the best outfielder in the ACC. I think you erase runs like nobody's business, and it's hard to quantify that. I felt like last year, because of how much work you did throwing uh, throwing runners out in the, your first couple years, that people didn't really run on you all that much. Is that is that something you've seen as well? And uh, does it get hard to know that you don't have as many chances to throw people out because people aren't taking chances against you now? Oh, absolutely. But I will give credit where credit is due. On our team, there isn't a lot. Like, when we're doing base runner drills and, like, you know, the outfits out there doing our thing. But when we have actual live base runners, like, we all get really excited or whatever it is. And there'll be a play where I'm like, okay, run out first, ground ball in the gap. I'm going three. And I'll come up firing and no one's going. I'm like, okay, this is practice. <laughs> like, I, like, like, okay, guys. Like, okay. But I will give credit where credit is due. Oda, Ariel Oda, number 24, keeps me on my toes at all costs. There was a ball hit maybe five feet short of the lip of the grass in the outfield. Super shallow. 
super shallow. She's on third base. She starts making a break from home or for home, like she's gonna do something. Like halfway, she stops and turns around and walks back to third. And like I, I did. I have to make a quick throw because I was like, "There's no way she's going on this. There's no way she's tagging and going on this." But like I got to the cutoff, uh, and I was just looking at, it and she goes, "I got gotcha. you. You threw it. You thought I was gonna go." Like she does dog me at times, and at sometimes she wins. Sometimes I win. There's always a toss-up. But I know if we're doing scrimmages or base running or whatever, Ariel Oda's going to keep me on my toes. And I have no one to thank but her for this upcoming season on, <laughs> on runners that are trying to make me think a little bit. But she, she has definitely been a key part of my day in practice. All right. Uh, time for one or two more with you, McKenzie. Uh, Oklahoma City is the goal. And one thing I love about you guys is you're very upfront. You don't hide from it. You don't pretend. Uh, that's the goal. What what would it mean to you to get to Oklahoma City at the end of this thing? I mean, like, as a team, it would mean the world to us. And honestly, like, we have been speaking it into the universe. We have been crossing our T's and dotting our I's and everything. And, like, we are super excited for the opportunity if that opportunity arises. However, I am more excited to see what our friends and families are going to do. Because, like, as you said, like, we're not a new. We're we're kind of a new program. Kind of, we've been here a little bit now, going on Team Five. But to see the crowd base that we have accumulated over these five years is just astounding. So I would just, honest to God, love to see, you know, Oklahoma City just covered in orange and purple, just a sea of Clemson Tigers over there in Oklahoma. But I think that's the main thing that I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see it too. All right, last question. I got to ask you about off season. Tell me the most fun thing you did between June and now. Between June and now, I would probably say. Okay, there's there, there's there's a coin flip there because we as a team we had a lake day. Okay. Uh, supposed to practice, and it was like a team bonding thing. Like we played ping pong. We went. Um, we went tubing, we did all this fun stuff, we went fishing, had some food, it was great. But I also went to Australia and I picked up a few things over there. So, like, it, it's really a toss-up, like, spending good quality time with your teammates and, and all that good stuff for traveling the world to play softball with my family. I mean, those are probably the top two moments from June till now. All right, so, so you're either picking a local lake day with your teammates or Australia? Those are the options? Yep. And you can't yep. choose between those two? Nope. Cause I'm with my I'm with my, my OG family. I got my mom and my dad and we, we traveled Australia there for a little bit. But then you got you got the family that you have when you're not with your family. Like, you know, like soon after it's like we see our families you know, like at games and stuff like that, but like for the most part, like I I feel as if like I have how many girls we have, like twenty three, twenty two. I feel like I have twenty three and twenty three twenty two and twenty three sisters. Like I don't know. I can't. I can't choose between two families that have always been there for me. That's 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 a tough. That's a tough pick. You know what? That's, that's like asking. That's who's true. Your favorite, who's your favorite child. <laughs> you know when you put it that yeah. way. I'll, I'll I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you split the baby on this one. I'll let you have both. Oh. That's that. That's good. I appreciate that, Mackenzie. Always good to visit with you. Hey, uh, best of luck as you start the season. Um, hope you uh, prove a lot of voters wrong. I'll say that in the ACC. And I'm looking forward <laughs> to watching you guys next week in Florida. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always a good time speaking to you guys. Absolutely. Take care. Mackenzie Clark, right. ladies and gentlemen.
joining the program. That's fantastic. Uh, she's one of my. She's a great personality, man. Great personality. I knew we could get that out of her. All right, stay with us. I want to talk a little bit about the ACC's perception in basketball. If you got other questions about this SEC Big Ten Alliance, you can get in six five four roars the number six five four seven six two seven on the phones on the Adams Corporation text line. Hour or two of the program continues after this. I'm Rick Davis with the Davis Law Group. I was born and raised in Greenville, attended Clemson University, and graduated in 1981. I've had the pleasure and the honor of assisting people in the upstate who may have been injured on the job or in a car wreck or through some other hazardous condition and cherish the many relationships and friendships that I've had with the clients over the years. What we do is we try to help the client find a path forward. Contact us at davis.law. We'll be glad to talk to you and see how we can help. Clemson Nation, this is former national champion Ben Boulware. If you live in Anderson, Greenville, Clemson, or Malden, South Carolina, and you're looking for the best birthday suit in town, come get tailored at www.thejunkyardfitness.com. Come by and see us at our four locations in the upstate of South Carolina. Your first week is always free. Whether you're in the market for a new or pre-owned vehicle, See for yourself why the team at Ralph A's Toyota and Anderson has been blocking out the competition for 75 years. PJ Hall here letting you know if you want to stay on top during the regular and postseason, Ralph A's Toyota has your next ride. From their certified pre-owned to all their new 2024 Toyotas, South Carolina's oldest Toyota dealer welcomes you. Ralph A's Toyota, Clemson Boulevard, Anderson. We wrote the book on price. Ralph A's Toyota. It's so stupid. At Hannah's Organic Honey, business may be sweet, but they need an e-commerce queen bee to lead the hive. Okay, these jars are going to Jakarta. Oh, wait a minute, does that say Jackson? Indeed can help them hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. Schedule virtual interviews and talk to candidates right from your employer dashboard. Visit indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. Powered by Upcountry Fiber, we are 105.5 and 97.5 The Roar. Providing fiber internet, HDTV, and phone service, Upcountry Fiber is a stronger connection. Baseball season's almost here, and we have you covered from now until opening day. Hitting is not about muscle. It's simple physics. Calculate the velocity V in relation to the trajectory T, in which G, gravity, of course, remains a constant. We are the Roar. All right, Hour 2 continues Out of Bounds. This hour of the show is brought to you by our friends at Little John Portable Toilets. For over 35 years, Little John Portable Toilets have proudly served the upstate. From construction jobs to special events, Little John has you covered with worry-free toilet service, delivered, clean, and sanitized. Locally owned and operated at littlejohntoilets.com. 654-ROAR is the number you want to join at 654-7627. I said I wanted to get to a couple other things, but... Uh, there, there has been a bit of news this morning on the uh, Clemson coaching front. Um, it, it has, it has come up on the shows uh, today, 
and uh, board meeting uh, coming up on Friday. Uh, always going to give you some sort of news, right? If you get a if you get one of those Friday board meetings, and um, coming out of it raises for Clemson football assistance. And uh, I'm just I'm on. Uh, this has been reported a bunch of places, but uh, John Blau from the Post and Courier uh, is reporting that Wes Goodwin. Uh, from eight hundred fifty thousand to one point four million dollars in annual salary, so a more than half a million dollar pay bump there. Nick Easton, a three hundred thousand dollar pay bump from eight hundred thousand to one point one million. Uh, you've also got Kyle Richardson with a hundred thousand dollar raise, Tyler Grisham hundred thousand dollar raise, CJ Spiller with a hundred thousand dollar raise as well. Um, Mike Reed and Mickey Kahn both bumping up to nine hundred thousand. Uh, per year, so everybody getting a raise to some degree, um, and you also have to take into account that Matt Luke and Chris Rumpf were hired at higher price points than their predecessors. So Clemson is spending on its assistant coach salaries again. And first of all, Mike, your thoughts on this? I mean, any any thoughts, any reactions to some of the raises and some of the movement in Clemson staff? Well, we got a couple new millionaires in the house, so that's that's good to see. Uh, yes. Folks are getting rewarded for their effort, Qualk, I think, um, to keep up with the times and, and the market value that these coaches have. Uh, it's good to see Clemson stepping up to the plate here and, and making that happen for these great coaches. I agree. Uh, it, is a, it, is a real, it is a real signal, I think. Uh, some things that I said yesterday. Now, let me, if you missed it, you should go back and listen when we were talking about it. Ben and I are on the same page on this. I'd love to, I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, and we, we'll get to some texts and phone calls on this as well. 654-ROAR is the number. Uh, there was, the conversation in the last couple of days has been, there's been a lot of hand-wringing. I mean, I talked about hand-wringing before about not being in the Big Ten and the SEC. There's a lot of hand-wringing about the sort of particulars of college football right now, running good coaches out and sort of drowning the game in roster, lack of, a, of, of roster control from year to year, even day to day. Um, a lot of those things sort of running people out. And there's this thought out there that there are really good coaches. And it, these, this, these are well-sourced thoughts that coaches are have about had enough. And one of the coaches people think of, when you talk about coaches that have about had enough, which, by the way, includes Nick Saban, uh, I think you'd be crazy to think that Nick Saban didn't see some of that. I think Jim Harbaugh probably saw some of that and was like, eh, I'm not sure if I want to do this anymore, in addition to trying to outrun the law, so to speak, uh, with the NCAA bearing down, his, uh, bearing down his neck. And obviously we saw Jeff Halfley is uh, feeling some of that. That's right. So you've got some people doing this. Um, not every coach that leaves is going to be about this, but rest assured – these are factors. If, if coaches stay, they're factors. If coaches leave for other reasons also, these are factors. Okay? Here's what I think is happening now. Dabo Sweeney is not a young coach anymore. Dabo Sweeney's made more money than you know what to do with in Pickens County. You can't spend $10 million a year in Pickens County. You can't do it. You could probably try. You could probably get close. But realistically, you, you, you can't do that. Well, 7540 asks, can coaches contribute to collectibles here on the Adams & Co. roofing text line? Oh, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't believe so. 
I don't believe so. But, you know, if you want to set up a shell corporation and start <laughs> funneling money, like, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not in law enforcement. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying. Um, Actually, that's one of the dumber things. That's actually one of the dumbest things. That, like, a coach can't be like, I'm going to donate $1 million to the university and then that million be used to help offset some of the cost of NIL. Like, the fact that you can't do that is crazy. Like, no. The rich millionaire coaches can't pay these players, but you, middle-class worker working 80 hours a week with 17 kids and soccer practices, 15 soccer practices every day, no, you have to, you have to do it. You have to fund it. And I know it's, it's mostly corporations and things like that anyway, but it's ridiculous. My point bringing all this up, okay, I think Dabo is going for it. I think Dabo doesn't like what's happening in college athletics. I think that's pretty abundantly clear right now. I would also point out that nobody likes what's happening in college. So when people are like, well, Dabo's got to get with the times. Well, everybody thinks this sucks. Everybody thinks it's bad. Um, I would also argue this point that the, the I'm, I'm not sure I've actually said this. But I was thinking about this earlier this week. Some of the conversations that we're having, and, and I'm, I'm texting people and I'm having these conversations off air about the, the state of the game. The people who did a better job adapting to Portal and NIL and things like that had no reason to be loyal to the previous system. They had no reason to want to just stay with the way things were done because they weren't having particular success anyway. Like, if you were if you were a school that had a lot of wealthy donors but you really hadn't had a lot of success in 10 years, why would you care if you're all of a sudden you get a collective? Like, you know who's loving collectives? Miami. Why? Because the previous system wasn't working. 20 years. They hadn't done bupkis. Played in one ACC championship. Of course they love NIL. Of course they love this system. Oregon. You got a bunch of money. Nike's right there. Phil Knight's going to give you whatever you need. Why wouldn't you lean into this? The places that have done it maybe have gone over. Ole Miss. What have you won, Ole Miss? No disrespect, but like you're not winning anything. Your chance to win stuff is to pay for players. Pay for play is your chance. Above board, pay for play. That's your shot, Ole Miss. There's nothing tying you to the previous era. Davos when he figured it out in one era, and then that dramatically changed. Not a gradual change like we're going to go from two teams to four in our playoff. We're going to let people decide rather than computers. It, it wasn't that. It was like, oh, here's the way you've done things, and now let's do a lot of stuff that's diametrically opposed to that and uh, radically change the cultural and the the um, tangible and even the intangible feel of the sport. Let's just change it all like in, immediately, and then everybody just uh, adjusts. We cool with that? Like there are lots of folks who wanted Davo Sweeney to pivot from a model he didn't appreciate, or from a model rather that he had perfected, to a model he didn't appreciate. I mean, I'd sort of understand why you'd be hesitant, but here's what I think is happening. You hire Matt Luke and Chris Rump because you've realized that the way you've done things recently is not good enough. And you don't want to stop at not good enough. I think Dabo Sweeney's paying his assistant coaches what he's paying them because now's the time to push your chips in. I think Dabo Sweeney's giving it a go, folks. And I'm not here to tell you that Dabo's giving it up in three years or four years or five years. I think you still got a great passion for what he's doing. But I think you're silly if you don't think that when Josh Pate uh, says that there are coaches that are this close from walking away that Dabo's not on his mind. 
There are lots of coaches that are on his mind, but I, that was going to be one of them on his mind. So a question comes up to my mind there, Qualk, with, with that combined with what we talked about in the segment previous to McKenzie Clark with this new alliance. Does a coach like Dabo Sweeney, does that, I'm sure it interests him, is it, is it a positive step for him to see somebody trying to step in and take some leadership in this big mess that we have? I think probably, I mean, depending on what they come up with, Depending on what they come up with, if if the SEC and the Big Ten usher in a bet, even if it's just better for them, if that's better than this, I say fine. Because here's the deal: I, we all have to remember this. No one thinks our current model of unfettered personnel movement, uh, like you can you can transfer every day, no penalty, doesn't matter. Waking up every morning when you go into work, you don't know who's going to leave today. Like, no no business can work that way without some protections for the business. You can't do that. We know this is not where we're going. We know this is temporary. We know the current NIL structure, where while the media revenues skyrocket, where instead of giving some of that money to the players, we're actually asking fans to fund it. And corporations to fund it with a totally different... Like, that that doesn't make any sense. That's illogical. We can't think that's where we're... Go- we're going somewhere from this. But the issue is that in order to get somewhere, you can't just drift. Right now, what we're doing is drifting while the NCAA waits for all the court cases to clear. Like, they just need their docket to clear. That, that is not a strategy for success. That's why I think this is actually fine, what the SEC and Big Ten are trying to do. One of the biggest eye-openers for me was to think that a coach like Nick Saban, with uh, arguably the greatest team in our lifetime in the college ranks, comes back from his bowl season and just a few days later has these tough conversations with over a third of his roster about needs and wants for NIL and playing time and all of this. And it's just another example of how coaches, just like Coach Halfley said, coaches aren't getting to coach football. They're having to deal with so much of this peripheral stuff that has become, you know, such a part of the game now. Um, it, it's it's distracting and discouraging. And to me, this alliance idea kind of brings a little bit of light into the tunnel that, hey, um, maybe there's some movement here. Hopefully it's not a train on the other side of the tunnel. But it's interesting. I think what Dabo Swinney has done is given the fact that this is temporary, but we have to exist in it. I think he's sort of buying time to some degree to see where this goes and see if he likes it. Because I think he would, like, if he really didn't like where he thought college football was going, I think he would, like, I think he would want the program to be in a little bit better shape when he left. But I, I think he could easily enjoy retirement and being a member of the community i mean he could do media he could do whatever i mean it's he 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 won't stop doing stuff right i mean but i mean he's earned enough money like he could do that i think what he's doing is he's buying time and he's getting a couple of guys in luke and rumpf this is not saying anything about their predecessors but they are they're upgrade they just are they're upgrades in recruiting and in their track records the development and those kind of things they're upgrades from the people they replaced they're also, they've been in some big battle, like SEC recruiting battles they can win. Like, these are guys that probably are okay going in the portal. 
like just in terms of the, the way that they go about their business. Um, these are guys that are going to help Dabo in the transition. I think he is buying time to see where this goes. And I think he is going for it. I don't think he's going to wait to see what happens. I'm also going to point this out. That part of the reason the recruiting, like the recruiting uptick is important. The last two signing classes, I would say in particular this freshman class that we saw this year. The 24 class appears to be more like this. Those are recruiting classes that feel spiritually like the kind of classes that made up championship teams. I can't speak to the level of clay in those classes because that remains to be seen. But they have gone back to their roots a little bit. I think they're digging deeper. Like, let's say they don't get in the portal. I said this yesterday. They don't get in the portal. Guess what? We're now paying our assistants a lot more money. Dabo Sweeney's saying now we're paying you to go and make sure, doubly sure, that our our recruiting, our scouting, our vetting processes are as good on the front end so that we don't have to go to the portal because we've missed on guys. We've misevaluated. If you're not gonna be able to get kids in the portal, then you have to be you have to be fine somewhere else. Like I I told my my favorite criticism I say favorite criticism, but the criticism I could get behind the most is when people said you can't have an inexperienced staff and missing recruiting and not go in the portal. And he, and here's an example of this uh, extra thought on recruiting where I think you're headed. You saw the junior day that we had last weekend. The Monday after the junior day, they're back on the trail. They're visiting some of the juniors that they just spent time with on Saturday. And yet they're showing up at their homes, showing up in their communities to to further that relationship. I think that's a great example of exactly what you're talking about. He's he's up in the game and up in the standard for the coaches to say, "Hey, we're going even deeper now. Maybe getting back to where we were pre-COVID when they were really digging deep with some of those strong relationships with recruits. Uh maybe that's what we're seeing uh here in these these last few weeks." I would agree. You're not going to get outworked. They're not going to get outworked. And I mean, we've gotten like we got a, a question on this, and this is something I've seen elsewhere. Like Tyler Grisham got a raise, really? I, I would I would not say that the I would not say that wide receiver recruiting and development has been a particular strength in the last couple of years. And I like Grisham. I, I'm a I'm a fan of him personally, and I've known him for a long time. So this, I mean, take this for what it's worth. I think he is getting a chance to work with the clay he's finally been able to bring in. I don't think people really understand that Clemson's wide receiver recruiting actually has dropped off. Not that they were getting, like, top 50 kids, but you were getting, like, good, solid four-stars, and, like, Mike Williams was a four-star, and Luke Hopkins was a, a four-star, and, like, you were able to develop. But, like, Sharon Peak was a really good player, really good recruit. Sammy Watkins, really good recruit. Deion Kane, really good recruit. Like... These are guys that are very, T. Higgins, really good recruit. Clemson has not been bringing in those. There's this idea like, where's the T. Higgins? Well, he's not there because they haven't recruited somebody that good. They haven't been bringing in top 30 players in the country. They haven't been bringing in guys with the recruiting stock like T.J. Moore and Bryant Wesco. Now they did. And so I think Tyler Grisham gets some credit for that. I think Garrett Riley probably had a hand in particularly Wesco's. But I can appreciate seeing the recruiting that's happened at wide receiver and going, all right. It's been a struggle because you hadn't had as good a clay to work with. 
But now that excuse is gone. Like, you brought in these dudes. Let's see if you can coach them. There was a time, and I'll, I'll point this out before we go to break. There was a time where Jeff Scott was seen as an inferior wide receiver coach as well. And then he brought in, and the 2010 group was lousy. Lousy. They were awful. I remember that group. That was a, that was a putrid passing game. Dreadful group of receivers. Jerome Brown went to the league. New Hopkins went to the league. Like, there were some skilled players on that offense, that 2010 offense that developed and went to the league once better players actually came and set a different standard. Once you got a quarterback in Taj Boyd that was able to raise the bar. Once you were able to raise the bar elsewhere, you were able to see that recru- that recruiting uh, or that, that wide receiver room develop a little better. I think there's a chance that happens with some of these guys that haven't developed as much. Maybe you stay a little bit healthier. Maybe you realize that, you know, with, with some guys coming in to raise the bar, like if TJ Moore comes in and balls out, Wesco comes in and balls out, now all of a sudden you don't have to play those guys. Right now, like if you're healthy at wide receiver, you probably were playing because guys were hurt. But if Wesco and Moore come in and ball out, you don't have to play those guys. Something to, something to consider going into next year. Stay with us. Hour two of the program continues right after this. If you are dealing with the complexities of selling an inherited property or navigating a property in probate, Samuel Property Group is here to help. Hi, this is Brady Brannon, owner of Samuel Property Group, your trusted partner in real estate solutions. Whether it's navigating probate laws or needing a quick real estate sale without the MLS, Samuel Property Group can get you a quick cash offer in as little as 10 days. Visit SamuelPropertyGroup.com today to turn your property challenges into great opportunities. Do you have sagging, softer, bouncy floors in your home? Well, this could be a sign of rotten wood caused by moisture in your crawl space. Damaged wood in your crawl space can affect your home's foundation, and that can affect your home's value, and nobody wants that. Say goodbye to sagging floors and hello to a stable foundation. Contact Canty today for your free inspection at 864-641-0176 or visit CantyCanFixIt.com. Harbin Lumber Company has been helping build dreams since 1917, proudly serving our local communities for over 100 years for all your building material needs. With spring around the corner, now is the time to think about a new deck or deck remodel or screen porch. Have it completed so you can enjoy the great outdoors. Visit HarbinLumber.com or call us at 706-356-4300 and let us show how we can help with your vision. That's 706-356-4300. Your floors can go from clean to dirty fast. From juice spills, whoops, to muddy paw prints, to little sticky finger marks. Good thing your Swiffer WetJet works fast too. Swiffer WetJet easily cleans everyday messes as quick as they happen. The next mess is right around the corner. So grab your Swiffer WetJet and just spray, push, all clean. Commercials, snacks, prop bets, Taylor Swift, and everything else that goes into this year's Super Bowl. Whether you're a diehard football fan or just here for the epic commercials, the big game is the event to watch. Game day essentials. Friends, snacks, and good vibes. We've got you covered up to the big game. We are the roar. I love you, baby, like a mine of love gold. Come on, sugar, let the good time roll. Hey. All 
All right, hour two continues out of bounds. William Quagamish, Mike Vaughn, 654-ROAR is the number. I want to tell you about our friends at Ingles, where you find low prices and love the savings. I Here's a good story for you. We talk a lot about the uh, Ingles Advantage card and, um, and the way it can save you money. It saves you money inside the store. Um, and, and it also saves you money at the gas pump. So the other day, I didn't eat groceries, but I didn't eat gas. And so I go by Ingles, five minutes, seven minutes from my house, whatever, home game. And I kind of came in the back way. So, like, I wasn't looking at other gas stations. Like, I'm not comparing prices. Back in the day, like, when I was in high school and first got a car, I had a, I had a truck, like a little uh, Chevy S10. And that sucker got 15 miles to the gallon. So I, I'm in high school. I'm not just flush with cash, you know. So, I knew exactly what every gas station cost. I knew which gas gave me an extra half, like, an extra half a mile to the gallon, whose gas was better, all that stuff. Like, I, I calculate all that stuff. Now, middle class, don't need that. So, but I do like, I do like saving money on gas. So, I go in Ingles, I go in the back way. I don't even know what gas is in Ingles. Turns out, it's two sixty nine. I save 20 cents on gas. Okay. Quack in the S10, did you did you have the digital readout to know how many miles you had left? <laughs> no. No, I did not. And um, there were a couple of precarious spots right there where it was like, am I going to be late to work or am I going to have my car down the way home? What are we doing? Um, I always chose being late, too. I don't know. Maybe that set me up for failure later in life. I always chose being late. Rather, uh, rather have gas in the car. Anyway. So I go up to the pump, I save 20 cents. So I'm paying $2.49 in gas. And I just start driving down the road. And the next gas station I see, the gas of that gas station is $2.82. Now, Mike, I would have saved 13 cents at Ingles without the Ingles Advantage card. As point. it stood, I saved actually 33 cents over a Stone's Throwaway competitor at Ingles. That's the kind of savings you're getting, people. 20 cents is enough, but when you're 13 cents lower to begin with, that's 33 cents a gallon. That's remarkable in this economy. Uh, practice deflation. We talk a lot about inflation. <laughs> practice deflation at Ingles with that Ingles Advantage card where you'll find low prices and you will love the savings. Uh, Tiger Fan Clint says this. I've always trusted in that Dabo was a wide receivers coach. He knows that spot. If he doesn't change the coach, he has a reason because he's not going to let that unit fail. If the problem is just a coach. I also think, and this is, I mean, this is coming from the inside too. I also think he has, he has really like coached Grisham hard in the role. Like there, there are things that you hear about the way Dabo coaches his coaches. And in particular, the way he coaches his wide receivers coaches. That's true. There is accountability there. Dabo's not complacent or like a day school there. So yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, can we talk about analytics for a second? We've got Terrence Oglesby coming up at 205. He took some uh, he took some slings and arrows this week. And we're going to ask him about it. Because he pointed out that the Big 12 gamed the net. Now, before we go much uh before we go much further on this, um let me just say, I think the ACC is being undervalued by the net to a certain degree. Realistically, 
how many teams do I think, do I feel sure about our NCAA tournament teams right now? I would say like four that I feel realistically sure are NCAA tournament teams. So that's a difference of one team. That's a difference of one team uh, beyond the three that we already are sort of being given by the bracketologists and, and frankly by the net. Duke, North Carolina, and Clemson look like NCAA tournament teams, have played like NCAA tournament teams, have resumes like NCAA tournament teams. Check, check, check. Checking all the boxes there. To me, the thing that is most surprising about this is that, you know, back when we replaced the RP, do you remember when we replaced the RPI and it became the net? Do you remember those conversations? Yes, and I remember a lot of the conversations since that have just been bewildered by what in the world is this ranking doing? Okay, so this is why I was a proponent of the net, and I'm saying was for a very sad reason. Um, I was a proponent of the net because you can't tell team strength just by whether they won or lost a game. You can't. Like, I heard somebody explain it this way. If you're down by one to a team, are you a materially different team if at the buzzer your guy makes a half-court shot and beats that team by two? Are you materially different? Like, possession by possession in the game, are you dramatically different whether you won or lost that game? In terms of team quality, the answer is no. So it made sense to have some way to factor in this is the way a team has been playing all year. Not just looking at results, like bottom line results, but how did you get there? And you're still factoring in things like strength of schedule. You're still factoring in non-conference. You're still factoring in all of these things. But you're baking in something beyond that that tells you how did you play. It's a be- Honest to God, it is a better way to reflect the quality of teams you put in the tournament. You know, I I don't have numbers on this. I think dramatic upsets. Now we've seen some like sixteen ones and stuff like that. But you know, we we always used to see like twelve seeds beat fives. You know why we always used to see twelve seeds beat fives, and now twelves don't necessarily they do some, but they don't every year like they did for twenty years. It's because we do a better job seeding because we factor in how good you are, not just how good your resume is, but we factor in how good you are, and so teams are more accurately seated. Doesn't mean that every better seated team wins, but it just means that it's commiserate with how you've played. And then you get examples like the Big 12. And I'll tell you why the Big 12 is sad, okay? And this is why I think analytics has taken a beating this week. Because you could gain the RPI by just scheduling a brutal schedule. And we found that out. It didn't even matter necessarily that you won the games because if you lost the game against a really good team, they might be like, oh, well, that's okay, and they pat you on the head. You don't have to be good in the games you win or lose. It does, you don't have to be good at all. It's just results. So if you play a, a good team and you get blown out, they're like, you know what? Good for you for scheduling that. Good for you for scheduling that. We're not even going to penalize you for that. Way to go. That's what the RPI did. You could gain the RPI. But you could game it from a result standpoint. I hope this is making sense to people. You can game it from a result standpoint. What's happening now with the net is that people are gaming the analytics. Like Ken Palm, the reason, and I know some of y'all get frustrated with me bringing up Ken Palm. The reason I bring up Ken Palm is because it is a better way, it is a truly better way to predict future performance than looking at RPI. It's a better way to predict future performance than taking two teams and looking at their raw stats and going, I don't know what kind of shots you're taking. I don't know how many possessions you're playing. 
I don't know what kind of defense you're playing. I don't have a clue how good you are rebound. I just see numbers. But if one team gets 90 possessions a game and another one gets 60, just because a team that gets 90 has more rebounds doesn't mean they're a better rebounding team, if that makes sense. It does. I've heard y'all talk about this earlier this week, and the question that comes to my mind when you say the Big 12 is gaming the ranking or gaming the system, are, are you literally saying that last summer or whenever the schedule was finalized that members of the Big 12 conference sat down and said, we can do these things – and it will move us up in the net ranking. It was it a what is was it a specific strategy to do this, or does it just work out this year that it looks like it's more favorable to the Big Twelve? Yeah, I mean, I I think it looks like it's more favorable because they did it on purpose. I think somebody figured out that efficiencies are a part. We know that efficiencies are a part. Offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency are a part of the net formula. What we didn't think about is that those efficiencies factor in, uh, are factored in with giant margins. Don't control for the fact that you're playing an awful team. So, like, if you're, in terms of the RPI portion of the net, you know what? Put us in a nerd alert. This is getting this is getting way nerdy. This nerd is way alert. too early for that. Yeah. Wait a second, Doc. You mean to tell me that this is a nerd alert? That's right, Marty. We've entered a nerd alert. So I'm going to do this as as quickly and easily as I can. Okay. In the RPI portion, like the resume portion, there are caps put on how many points you can sort of credit a team with a win. Like, they did this in the old BCS formula where they would cap the formula for being able... Like, if you beat a team by 50, it didn't matter because you could only beat them by 28. So that you wouldn't just run the score up. But what people found is that while that is true and good, like, you you don't count a win as a higher quality whether it's 50 or 20 over a quad four team, it still factors into your efficiency numbers. So if I beat a team 70 to 60, my efficiency numbers are a certain thing. If I beat a team 80 to 40, my efficiency numbers are way better. The win might count the same, but the efficiency numbers are different. So that's what the Big 12 has done. The Big 12 has played lousy schedules, and they have basically broken Ken Palm. And that's what's sad to me. Because I, felt, I always felt like those were numbers that more accurately reflected how good a team was. But now there's all this doubt cast on it. And what's funny is, more so than even being about this specific example, it's sad because now analytics takes the beat. Like, analytics is the thing that's a problem for people who are more traditional. Perfect example. Something I've seen over and over again this week with Dan Campbell of the Detroit Lions. Well, you know, analytics gets you beat, Mike. Analytics gets you beat. And it's stupid analytics, all these stupid math people getting into football. They're ruining football with their analytics. Emphasis on the first part. Analytics, the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody, except for Dan Campbell's not an analytics guy. There's a fundamental misunderstanding of what analytics is. So right now in our sports and a lot of you out there agree with a lot of you out there would agree with what I'm about to tell you is is true. For a lot of people, analytics is just somebody made a decision that seems weird. I'm gonna assume some nerd told them. I'm gonna assume some math geek with a spreadsheet told them that that's what they should do. Some people do that. Classic example of this. I'll never forget this game. 
2001, Clemson, Georgia Tech, in Atlanta. I believe the final score was 44-41 in overtime. Woody Dancer ran it in. That was the McAlvey Sean McDonough call. Okay? It was 23 years ago, I remember. Game goes to overtime. George Godsey was the quarterback at Georgia Tech. And the reason it went to overtime is because George O'Leary went for two three times. And it was, like, kind of early in the game. First time I ever heard of a coach doing this. He goes for two three times in a game and fails all three times. And, of course, the media is perplexed. Why is he doing this? Early, you don't need it. Why would you just take the extra point? Well, after the game, he says, that's what the chart said to do. The chart said, you're better off going for two. That's analytics. Analytics is looking at a chart, and it says what to do, and you just do it without thinking. Dan Campbell's not analytics. In my opinion, the the danger is that analytics is going to get thrown out by a lot of people and discounted when analytics are good as tools. Ken Palm is a tool. (laughs) Somebody's going to take that out of context. Ken Palm's a tool. (laughs) These are tools. but. I'm sorry, go ahead. Dan Campbell uses it to help inform decisions, but he was not making decisions on Sunday. He did not lose the game because he stared blankly at a spreadsheet and just did what he said. He's a gut coach. Right. He's a field coach, but because his decisions didn't make sense, people were blaming analytics. All week long, I've heard this about analytics. All week. And I'm kind of tired of it because it brands Dan Campbell as something that he's not, and it brands analytics as something that they're not. And it just seems like, I know this has been hashed through, but it just seems like you go for it before the end of the half and you kick it near the end of the game. And he did the two opposite. Obviously, it worked. He got the three points before the end of the half, but at the end of the game, it didn't work so well. I mean, you could you could justify either choice and all of that, but my point in saying it is Dan Campbell didn't do anything because the spreadsheet told him. He might have used data. Smart people do use data. But he's his own guy with a brain. Stop knocking analytics. Hour three, TO's next. WCCP FM 105.5, Clemson, Greenville Anderson, WAHT AM 1560, Cowpens, 97.5, Spartanburg. We are the Roar.